This is episode number 345, Strength Training for Endurance Athletes with Dr. Matthew Smith from Ever Athlete. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about high performance and well-being, and I'm your host, Sonia. And if you're new around here, I am a world and multi-time national champion in mountain biking, and I still race professionally. I'm a health and mental performance coach, a writer, a mom of two little kids, and I own my own business. And if you're not new around here, welcome. I'm so glad that you're back, and I'm so grateful that you are a part of this awesome community and that we get to learn and grow together. We have to remember that life off the bike contributes to life on the bike. So if we don't function well as a human and don't have high physical capacity and you know motor skills off the bike, we get injured off the bike, that reduces our ability to actually perform on the bike. So there's, you know, there's multiple ways that you can approach that. I think generally it's a really great thing for people. It's certainly something that has diminishing returns to a point. You know, we certainly don't want to turn someone whose ultimate goal is to compete in cycling, we don't want to turn them into a power lifter, you know, and I think the genesis or the introduction of strength training to the aerobic and endurance communities has largely been through that vantage point of the historical introduction through the powerlifting realm, which I think has been refined and revisited over the years. And and I think the ultimate goal, again, is, is not to turn people into power lifters. That's not the point at all. It's more so to do things like, you know, build functional strength in the body, but also build motor skills, build stability, improve proprioception and core strength. All these things contribute to, you know, your activation and, and capabilities on the bike, but also off the bike as well. I'm so excited about today's episode because strength and mobility is not just about performance for today or next month. It is about longevity for the rest of our lives. It's one of the pieces of the puzzle that I have really struggled to maintain consistency. And every time I would go see a sports chiropractor or physical therapist for an injury, it would be the same things that I would address whenever I was rehabbing them, but then I would just stop. Once I started using the Ever Athlete training platform, I started doing it regularly and I loved it because I often question, is this the right thing for me? And they had specific training programs based on whether you're a runner, a triathlete, or a cyclist, if you are in a stability phase or in a strength training phase, and they even have things like yoga and postpartum work. After using the Ever Athlete training program, I reached out and I connected with Dr. Matthew Smith. He is a sports chiropractor, strength coach, and the founder of Ever Athlete. Matt grew up in San Jose, California, and received his doctorate at Palmer West Chiropractic College, graduating valedictorian of his class. He spent the past 15 years in the fitness and injury rehabilitation field. During that time, he has served as a trusted rehab consultant and coach to many professional athletes, Olympians, high school and collegiate athletes, and weekend warriors looking to improve their health and performance. So he's pretty much seen it all. Outside of the athletic realm, Matt has served as a primary fitness and health consultant to some of the largest companies in Silicon Valley. Matt's diverse professional background has provided a unique vantage point for helping outdoor enthusiasts improve their performance and create longevity to their journey in sport and health. And that is exactly what I started talking about whenever we started this podcast today. Matt spends most of his time working with clients one-on-one -on -one and working with the Ever Athlete team to always be upping their game with the Ever Athlete training platform. He currently lives in Santa Cruz, California with his wife, and he spends his free time surfing, mountain biking, and running through the trails in the beautiful Santa Cruz mountains. Today, we address a lot of common concerns around strength training, things like fear of bulking up whenever you're an endurance athlete. We also defined what core work actually means. We talked about injury prevention and how strength training is more than just for sports performance. And we also talked about something that I learned about in my postpartum journey, something called dynamic neuromuscular stabilization or DNS. And we talked about the evolution of Ever Athlete. And Ever Athlete has offered you guys a 25% off discount for the first three months if you want to try out their platform. If you use the code LOONEY, L-O-O-N-E-Y, all capitals, whenever you're signing up to check it out, you can get 25% off. And it is totally worth it. 
all of the videos are on demand so that you can do them whenever you have time or you can just do a portion of them. And I know it's recommended to do all of the videos, but sometimes we think that we have to do all of a workout video, otherwise it's not worth it at all. And that is not the case. That is thinking that I have had to overcome myself. Doing something is better than doing nothing. And knowing what the right things to do especially to support you in your sport is really key. So that is why I love Ever Athlete. Go check it out. And I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. If you're struggling to make any type of behavior change in your life, I'm here to help. I am a certified health and wellness coach. And what that means is that I did a graduate level training program at Vanderbilt University that uses health psychology to talk about everything in regards to behavior change. No matter what phase you might be in, whether you're just thinking about making changes, whether you've made changes in the past and just couldn't quite make it stick, I can help you. That is what I do. So if you're interested in that, go to sonyalooney.com and click on coaching and you can see all the different ways that I can provide you support to close the gap from where you are now to where you want to be. I also offer mental performance coaching that gives you things like confidence, resilience, goal setting, visualization, breath work, things like that if you are an athlete or an entrepreneur looking for that extra 1%. I also have an on-demand course called the Moxie and Grit Mindset Academy that addresses everything mental performance that is self-paced and comes with a workbook. You can find everything at sonyalooney.com. Okay, so I think that you have everything you need for your mind and for your body. Let's dive right in with Dr. Matthew Smith. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm stoked to be here. Yeah, I've seen you on video so much. And before we <laughs> turned the microphone on, I told you that my soreness today is attributed to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's something that I hear quite a bit these days. I'm so stoked that you're doing the program and, you know, jumping in with the stability program with Ride Strong. That's awesome. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny. Being sore is actually kind of satisfying. And I know that there's varying levels of soreness and soreness that's okay and that kind of thing. I'll just jump right in with strength strength work because I actually don't know the answer to this. How much soreness is is okay and how much is not okay? That is a question with many answers. Um, <laughs> I think it really depends on what your goal is. So it's all relative to, to what you're trying to do. So for you, I would imagine, you know, the primary goal is being on the bike. And generally speaking, when it comes to someone who's, you know, very concentrated aerobically and are, are looking to perform either on the bike or running, we don't want a level of soreness post-strength that will impede those workouts. So it is totally fine. You know, soreness is a, is a sign of adaptation, but generally speaking, like 24 hours of soreness at most 48 is totally fine, but it shouldn't be soreness to a degree that it it does not allow you to do your aerobic workouts. And that's, you know, kind of a framework that we we try and promote quite a bit through Ever Athlete is that, you know, the primary goal is not necessarily strength work. We leverage strength work as a tool to allow us to perform better in our outdoor pursuits, you know, whether it's mountain biking or trail running or open water swimming or whatever it may be. The soreness that you get from a strength training workout should be mild to moderate and still allow you to continue in stride with your normal aerobic training. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And I think that one of the reasons I have been hesitant in the past to get into strength work is because I didn't want to be just doing things that were going to make me so sore that I couldn't ride my bike. Mm -hmm. So I guess I could preface saying that my pecs are sore to be more specific, which, you know, today I'm doing a trainer workout. So it's that's going to be pretty much a zero when it comes to riding the trainer. Yep. But yep. I, I want to kind of start with a few questions people have asked me over the years. And they say, should I be doing strength work? I'm an endurance athlete. Should I be doing strength work? And if so, why? Yeah, this is a very often asked question. I think especially right now, strength training has has really become a part of the endurance community's conversation in a way that I don't think it has been in the past. And I think to answer it directly, you know, I've centered my whole business around helping people prepare better for endurance athletics by using the tool of strength training. And it can certainly be one that is super valuable on multiple fronts. One is, you know, if we're looking just at, if we're just speaking about cycling, for example, um, since I would imagine a lot of people listening to this podcast probably spend some time on the bike, 
strength training can be leveraged certainly for power output. So there are things that you can do to improve your power output when you're off the bike. Strength training is one of them, which is kind of a, a simple thing, right? But beyond that, I think, especially for cycling, strength training is really valuable from an injury prevention perspective, where if you can maintain a consistent routine off the bike, that helps you counteract some of the adaptations that your body has to many hours on the bike. I think there's certainly an interesting element of promoting more longevity to your journey on the bike through that. You know, I think a lot of people lose sight of the fact that when they're on the bike, it is a seated position, even though you're working aerobically, it's it's very similar to sitting at a desk, right? In terms of the, the physiology that occurs in your hips and lower back and overall, you know, your spine. And so using a cross training routine or an athletic development routine off the bike can be a really valuable thing to counteracting some of the negative things that can come from those adaptations that your body goes through. We often preach about the fact that, you know, gym routines can not only build better symmetry in your body, but they can also activate areas that become deactivated on the bike, like your glutes, your posterior chain, all these different things that are very valuable, not only for the bike, but also contribute to normal human life, which I think in terms of the conversation around strength training for endurance athletes, particularly cyclists, we sometimes forget that, you know, the focal point of that conversation is, will this make me better on the bike? which I think there's an argument for, certainly I would, I would make that argument, but also we have to remember that life off the bike contributes to life on the bike. So if we don't function well as a human and don't have high physical capacity and, you know, motor skills off the bike, and we get injured off the bike that reduces our ability to actually perform on the bike. So there's, you know, there's multiple ways that you can approach that. I think generally it's a really great thing for people. It can it's certainly something that has diminishing returns to a point. You know, we certainly don't want to turn someone whose ultimate goal is to, you know, compete in cycling. We don't want to turn them into a power lifter, you know? And I think the genesis or the introduction of strength training to the aerobic and endurance communities has largely been through that vantage point of the historical introduction through power, the power lifting realm, which I think has been refined and revisited over the years. And, and I think the ultimate goal again is, is not to turn people into power lifters. That's not the point at all. It's more so to do things like, you know, build functional strength in the body, but also build motor skills, build stability, build improved proprioception and core strength. All these things contribute to, you know, your activation and, and capabilities on the bike, but also off the bike as well. Yeah, I think that longevity piece is something that is probably on a lot of people's minds and it's certainly been on my mind. And strength training was something that I would say, yeah, yeah, like I'll get to it later. I'll just do it later. And then I started thinking about, well, what kind of athlete do I want to be when I'm 60, 70, 80? And mm -hmm. I still want to be an athlete when I'm 60, 70, 80. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people listening that use their bodies a lot, there's recurring injuries that happen repeatedly and you go to the physio or the chiropractor or the massage therapist or wh whatever have you. Mm -hmm. And you work on that acute issue and then you do the things and then it's gone and then you just get right back to your old habits again. And that isn't actually helping the problem. And that is only going to get worse as you get older. So mm -hmm. something that I thought was really cool is when I started that stability program, a lot of the things in there were things that have been given to me by my chiropractor, my physio over the years to work on things like a you know, immobile thoracic spine or glute strength or, you know, your shoulders or tight lats or all these different things. And I think the hardest thing about strength training for people is doing it. Like everybody thinks probably, oh, I should do it. But then there's decision fatigue as to, well, what should I do? Because you mentioned this powerlifting realm and like what what do I need for my sport? Mm -hmm. And then there's this, you know, knowing contemplating this thing, but then actually doing it and doing it consistently, as you said. Yeah. And I think to your point, everyone on staff at Ever Athlete is either a sports chiropractor or a physical therapist. And when we started building out our online programs, it was all and this actually, you know, even before that, when we were doing in in-person group training and our one-on-one -on -one training with different athletes, the epicenter of all that is injury prevention before performance. And so 
one of the questions that we've tried to answer through those programs is how can we impact someone's training and health journey before they run into pain, before they run into an injury or, you know, our high performance athlete who's looking to maintain their body? Like, how do we impact that before it even ever becomes an issue? And the primary way that we, you know, believe in is teaching people to move well and load their body in effective ways and teach them how to do that from that vantage point of like, hey, this strength work is not, it's it's not, the end goal is not to just be better in the gym. The end goal is to improve your overall function and movement and, and ability to handle load. And so you'll see a lot of, you know, a lot of the exercises that we prescribe like we view performance is on the same pers- it's on the same spectrum as physical therapy or rehab right and so it's all it should all run you know rehab should run towards training and vice versa and so we try to marry the two and integrate the same concepts at different areas of the spectrum but try and keep those themes the same whether you're doing you know strength training for performance or you're rehabbing an injury it should all be kind of in the same ballpark right and so a lot of those programs will will integrate the the same kinds of exercises with maybe a little bit more load or a little bit of a different stimulus than what you would experience in a rehab setting and it's simply because the things that work in rehab are also things that should integrate into your strength training journey because they generally will help keep your body prepared for the goals and outdoor activities that that you're really pursuing um, and so that's that's really, you know, the themes of our programs are to help athletes move better so that they can continue on in their journey of performance or whatever they're looking for. And so, yeah, I think I think for us, and I think that this contributes to the discussion about strength training overall is not all strength training. I, I think in the endurance community, the question is often asked is like you asked is strength training something that I should do? Is this good for me? And it's like the conversation about nutrition. Not all nutritional plans or diet plans are created equal, right? And so, I mean, there are plenty of strength routines that I would not recommend for people. And we've tried to construct, you know, some some simple ways and frameworks for people to integrate in, you know, strength training that we think is very helpful in regards to to building the body overall without taking away from the actual goal of it all, which is the pursuit of outdoor activities. Yeah, I think something people think about a lot is building muscle or building physique whenever they think about strength training. Totally. And then also these different types of fibers. So I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert in this area at all. So I'm probably going to misspeak. So please correct me if I'm wrong. But you know, the type two fibers versus the type one versus the type one A and how those are different for, you know, a very fast, you know, powerful movement versus like an endurance sport. So I'm commenting how people tend to look at it that way. And yeah. people are afraid of building muscle or they're like building too much muscle or they're afraid of converting their muscle fibers over. And I'm just curious, um, you know, if you can demystify that for us. Well, I think when it comes to the aerobic athletes that I work with, the, yeah, the, the concern of building too much muscle mass, um, for their sport that will ultimately reduce their performance is a conversation that we have quite a bit. And without getting too deep into, you know, muscle fibers and these different things, usually the nutritional and aerobic component of their training, if we look at their training globally, the amount of time that they're spending on the bike or on the trail running and their nutritional demands with that do not allow for major muscular development. Additionally, you know, we tend to use sets and rep schemes that do not promote major hypertrophy. It's more for motor recruitment and strength development while maintaining a lean physique. So the the ultimate goal, and you can, you know, modify rep schemes and sets and all these different things to get a different response from the body. Say you're looking to build muscle. Um, you can use sets and reps that would promote that far more. You can also modify your nutrition that would, that would change that outcome as well. Generally in our programs, we work on tempo work and isometrics and smaller rep schemes that don't get that outcome. Additionally, you know, the volume of strength work that you do contributes to that. So our programs are generally two to three days a week. 
which we think is a sweet, the, the sweet spot for an aerobic athlete and someone that's looking to get the most out of their gym routine and their strength development without, you know, leaning into that total change in their physique. We think that a dose of strength for, you know, two days a week is really not going to give you the stimulus that would be required for major hypertrophy development and is more kind of a, um, a supplement to the aerobic work that you're doing on the bike. So how did you come up with the framework? Cause you, in, in your, on every athlete, you have, you know, running programs, you have cycling programs, you have triathlon programs. How did you design those frameworks? And then within those frameworks, there's different programs like stability, strength, those types of things. Mm-hmm. The frameworks were purely developed from high level athletes that we've worked with in those different disciplines. And so prior to us, you know, launching our online stuff in 2020, uh, we were doing, we started back in 2015 and I've worked in strength and conditioning for 15 years, but all of those programs are based on things that we've used with real athletes uh, who perform at the highest level. And we also have worked with a very diverse group of, of athletes and, and people that largely wouldn't even consider themselves athletes. And all of the programs are based on the things that we've used with them. Uh, so that's kind of the, the the foundation that we we used as our framework for those. And we've taken feedback from different athletes in terms of volume and, and all these different things. And we've made tweaks over time in regards to the specificity of each program. You know, this, the ride strong programs are different than the trail strong programs, which are different from the tri strong programs. And that's largely based on the demands of the sport. And so in terms of the, the differences in terms of Tissue readiness for running is very different than the tissue readiness that you need for cycling, right? You're not taking a lot of impact on the bike in the same way that you would in a plyometric sense in running. And so we try to respect those things and cater to those things in the different programs. Okay. And then I was also wondering about the upper body piece because mountain biking is very more, very much more upper body dominant than road cycling, which is way more upper body dominant than probably running. Yeah. Yeah. So how, like, how did you decide how to integrate upper body work into these programs? How do we decide to integrate upper body work? Um, the ride strong programs are, are primarily made for off-road cyclists. So our vision with those was strictly from the mountain bikers that we've worked with and the gravel cyclists that we've worked with, which do have a much larger upper body demand than a road cyclist. And in terms of the volume of upper body work that we have in there, a lot of the upper body work that we build in is really core focused. And so it's, it's not so much to build muscle mass in the upper body, but more so build a competency of things like grip strength, things like scapular and shoulder stability. All these things are very, very important, particularly for people that are riding on trail or off-road in terms of bike handling and, you know, one of those things of like failure of grip strength on the bike is a huge problem. And so a lot of the upper body loading that we do is respective to that. So it's all geared towards improving the motor control and overall stability of the upper body, not so much to try and build muscle mass. We do use things like pull-ups and, and that kind of stuff, which, you know, the pull-up is an upper body movement, but it's also very supportive of the lower back if it's done well. And so we've integrated a lot of those upper body concepts into the larger picture of improving the connection of the upper body to the lower body through the core. And so there are, you won't find things like, you know, tricep pull downs and a lot of bench press or anything like that. Most of the things that we do in regards to upper body loading require a core stability component so that we really get the most out of the motor control of that movement, as opposed to trying to build muscle mass in the upper body. Yeah. As you're mentioning that, I was thinking about how a lot of times people have like distal injuries, like their wrist or like something like that. And they Mm -hmm. think, oh, my wrist is injured, but really, and then they'll try and strengthen their wrist, but really the wrist might be injured because they lack their shoulder stability or things like Uh that. So, you know, I know these things just because I've spent lots of time <laughs> in different offices, you know, getting yeah. to know my body, but a lot of people haven't wanted to invest that time or that money to do that. So understanding that this whole body works as a system and that something like a wrist pain could be related to like a shoulder instability. And ha- and that goes back to coming right back to all those things that you were just talking about. 
a hundred percent. And I think, especially on the bike, you know, you have five points of contact. You have two pedals, the seat, and then your handlebars. The upper body is very involved in cycling as much as, you know, the power generation is through the lower body and the core, the handling, the motor control, the stability on the bike, particularly when you're off the seat is also dictated by your stability in your shoulder and your ability to hold on and modify your position and the competency of your ability to activate your upper body and the strength that you have there can be indicative of your overall performance and potentially help you prevent fall or crash. Yeah, I was going to mention that part next because there's been some times on my bike where I've almost crashed and I have caught myself and, and this isn't to say that I don't need I need a lot a lot of work and stability in my upper, in my upper body but because of the work I've previously done I was mm-hmm. able to prevent a bad crash from happening because I was way too far you know over the front of the bike or something like that and I was able to catch myself because of that stability but if mm-hmm. you stop training that stability or you never train it then your risk of getting hurt worse increases dramatically Yeah. And it's, you know, there's certainly a a point of diminishing return with upper body strength work and scapular stability work and all these different things, but to neglect it altogether, I think is definitely missing a piece of the puzzle in terms of, Hey, how do we maximize our, our time and energy spent towards progression in our passions and pursuits in terms of cycling? I do think that the upper body certainly contributes to performance on the bike. Yeah, and then you mentioned core work. And I think that I think a lot of people realize that core work is more than just doing crunches at this point. I remember, you know, when that became part of the conversation many, many years ago. But can you can you talk about what core work is and what is a strong core and what muscles are involved? Yeah. So the core is I mean, there are different definitions of this, but if we're talking specifically about like lower back stability and power generation in the lower body. The core is a cylinder of muscles that, you know, wraps from the lower back around to the front side of your body. Uh, It includes muscles like your quadratus lumborum, your lats, your obliques, your rectus abdominis, your transverse abdominis, all those deep abdominal muscles. The top of the core is the diaphragm, the bottom of the core is the pelvic floor. All these muscles work as a symphony to create pressure and stability to support your lower back in various positions. I think historically, like you alluded to, crunches do create a burn on the front side of the core, but they don't necessarily get the outcome that we would want from well-rounded core work. In regards to the way that, that I view core training, it is largely it largely revolves around your ability to control movement so your ability to create stiffness through your midline your ability to create stiffness along that cylinder to protect your lower back but also create a stable platform for you to generate force through your upper and lower body and you can do this in a lot of different ways the way that we generally view things and kind of the framework that we use in our programs is we use movement patterns so being able to resist motion forwards or backwards, being able to resist motion or prevent motion from happening side to side or in rotation. That's one element of core stability. You could also train your core by generating motion in those different planes. And really the goal is to leverage those muscles in a coordinated way to either stop or create motion, depending on what kind of training or stimulus you're looking for. And so, you know, the core in its essence is that cylinder that wraps around the lower back to the front side of the body, creates tension and stability for the pelvis and lower back and the rib cage, and allows you not only to protect those areas, but also generate force. Beyond that, things like hip stability, the hips are highly involved and should be considered in core training as well. You know, the glutes, the outer hip rotators, the outer st- the stabilizers of the hip are humongously important in regards to core function as well. So I kind of you know, we can break it up into two parts, but those things really work as a major unit to do, I think, on the bike to generate force force into the pedals. But also if you're off the seat and you're cornering or something like that, your ability to maintain stability in odd positions, that is core function. That is stability. Um, and I think when we look at balance training and proprioceptive training and all these different things, 
a lot of times we focus strictly on the lower body, but core function is certainly involved in those things. It's also involved in things like deadlifting and squatting and all these different things. Healthy core function certainly contributes to your ability to perform those in a with really good technique and also in a safe way. That's kind of how I view the core. I don't know if I fully answered your question, but yeah, that's a great that's a great answer. And I want to add like the importance of the breath when it comes to this entire cylinder. You know, your diaphragm and the connection to your pelvic floor and. I learned a lot about that part, you know, postpartum with my first child and going to see a pelvic floor physio. And I, I'll put a link in the show notes for people interested in that episode. But can you talk about the breath's importance in uh, core work and maintaining tension and things like that? Yeah. So like I said, the top end of that cylinder is your diaphragm, which is, you know, your primary driver of breath. So when we take a breath in, in the most optimal scenario, we're activating our diaphragm to pull down below the rib cage to create a difference in pressure in the lungs so that air can fill the lungs. The top end of that core, if it's dysfunctional, can lead to a lot of issues, not only in terms of lower back health uh, and core function, but it can also reduce our ability to create power and strength through the lower body. So in general, with core training, leveraging breath and being able to maintain like there's a couple of different ways that you can talk about this being able to maintain and hold positions while breathing is a really important piece of core strength but also that ability to activate your diaphragm is that kind of foundational component to building a strong stable core and i think you know especially with the athletes that spend a lot of time on the bike they're used to breathing high up into their neck. And we see this all the time in the assessments that we run with athletes one-on-one. -on -one. They kind of lose, due to the stress of the sport, they adopt stressful breathing patterns, which use the accessory breathing muscles high up in the neck that attach onto the top end of the rib cage to heave the rib cage up. And they actually stop getting good diaphragmatic activation, particularly when they're under duress. And so a lot of what we work with, with our individual clients, is getting good activation of that diaphragm and kind of retraining that away from a stressful pattern into a stronger, more stable pattern using the diaphragm as that foundational piece of core tension. What are your thoughts on that uh, DNS, that dynamic neuromuscular stabilization yeah, from Prog School? Love it. You know, I've I've used their stuff for a long time. And it's, I mean, it's very interesting stuff. For people that are not familiar with DNS, DNS uses kind of the fundamental developmental patterns <laughs> of <laughs> uh, infantile development as a way of rehab. So foundational component of that is, you know, activation of the diaphragm, building that cylinder, being able to activate the cylinder using crawling patterns and dead bug patterns and all of these different things to help people move fundamentally well and improve their overall patterns and activation in the upper and lower body uh, while protecting the lower back and pelvic region. Super cool stuff. I mean, we use a ton of that. In our programs, you'll see tons of dead bug, a lot of crawling patterns. And I think, you know, a lot of people, and this goes back to that original discussion that we had about adaptations to the bike and adaptations to our, you know, normal life where we sit quite a bit, we start to devolve away from our normal functioning human being patterns. This happens whether you're a cyclist or not. And DNS is a fantastic uh, school of thought and methodology to restore some of those fundamental patterns that are, are essential for the body to, to function well. Yeah, I always think about this whenever I see my son, you know, he, he he was sitting on the couch the other day. And instead of sitting on the couch, like how we sit on the couch, like lean way back, like totally, you know, kind of loose. He was sitting at the very edge of the cushion, sitting straight up, you know, sitting perfectly like we're supposed to be sitting. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to watch, you know, as time goes on, when his posture and the way that he moves starts devolving. Mm. Yeah. And I would imagine... Nowadays, it'll probably be much faster than, you know, 50 years ago or 60 years ago. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I have a little niece and nephew who we help, my wife and I help take care of. Um, and we've watched them grow up. You know, my nephew's six and my niece just turned four last week. 
And, and I had the same kind of recognition watching, especially Ellie, the, the four-year-old, you know, progress throughout her, her life thus far. You really see some of those fundamental patterns that I've learned from that rehab vantage point and, and watching a little one reflect all of those things that we help try and help people reestablish later on in life. It, it's really interesting to see that evolution and see those changes. And it's hard to say, I mean, it, it really, I think a lot of it has to do with the environment, you know, in terms of the way that the child is, is functioning throughout their life. If they're spending a ton of time sitting on screens, looking down at a tablet. I think that there's certainly an argument to say that th- that would uh, excel the regression away from those natural patterns. But I think it's very subjective and one of those things that I'll be interesting to hear your thoughts on. Yeah, I kind of feel like once they start going to school and they start sitting for a lot of the day too, that's probably a change, but I don't really know. Yeah, I think you're right. I think as soon as they get in that that school environment, which, you know, there's there are some louder voices now talking about how negative that environment can be for children, which I don't have children, so I don't know if I should necessarily speak to this. But yeah, I think not only from a physical perspective, but also from a cognitive perspective, that eight hours of sitting a day that we're trained to do from the time that we're very young, I, I think has certainly reflected in some some negative repercussions in our society overall. Mm-hmm. Okay, so just to give a quick summary of some of the things that we've talked about, we talked about how strength training has multiple definitions. And in the way that we're talking about it here, we're talking about how you can use strength training, especially for stabilization, for rehab, for getting in front of injuries before they happen so that people can perform better in their sports and not take away from their their aerobic ability. And we talked about the importance of core work and what that actually means and how the breath is involved in core work. So with that, with that end, I want to go on and actually ask you how you started Ever Athlete in 2015. Yeah, man, Ever Athlete's a lot in the last couple of years. It's hard to even imagine what things were like in 2015. So when I started Ever Athlete, I had just moved back from Texas. I was living in Austin, Texas for a couple of years, working at a, at a pretty prominent sports therapy clinic out there. I moved back and, and started things. We I started our first office inside of a, a CrossFit gym in Mountain View, California. And um, originally, even though I had worked in the strength and conditioning world for years to that point, our primary focus was on you know much of what you've experienced, I think, in the therapeutic environment, sports chiropractic, injury rehab, injury prevention, kind of revolving around soft tissue therapy, corrective exercise all these different things. And there was a, a big emphasis on working with athletes. Um, after a couple of years of that, like I said before, the focus, I think a light bulb turned on for me with just the concept of what actual injury prevention and wellness is and what that actually includes. And I became a little bit restless with the role of working with just athletes who are rehabbing an injury or we're just looking for like a tune-up or something like that in a very passive way. And the big focus past that point became teaching people how to move better. And, and one of the ways that we did that is we started, we had an office in Mountain View. That office moved to Palo Alto in downtown Palo Alto. And then we opened up a performance training center about 10 miles away. And at the performance training center, we had all of our clinical stuff. So we had our clinical environment, but we also had a gym and we started running group training programs and one-on-one training and basically tried to create an environment that I viewed as true wellness, which was, you know, we have the full spectrum of care, whether you're in pain or looking to perform, we wanted to meet the needs of the athlete. And so from our clinical perspective, we kept doing what we were doing, very standard, you know, sports chiropractic and, and physical therapy care. In our one-on-one training, we worked with everyone from amateur athletes to the professional and, you know, most elite level. And then the big passion project for me became our, our group training program, which was a group strength and conditioning program where every quarter we would go on an adventure trip. And we would train for 10 weeks and then we would take our group out to, you know, we did stuff like hike the Grand Canyon. 
we took our group out to Yosemite for a big, big hiking trip. Um, we did a trail running trip and surfing trip in San Luis Obispo, California. We went out to Tahoe for cross country skiing and a bunch of other activities. And the premise of the entire thing was to help people build a framework to improve their life experience. And we wanted to create structure around that. So like I said, every quarter, we kind of gave people a goal to train for, and then we helped them prepare for that. So we created a very structured format for how they could build themselves up and then accomplish what they were looking to accomplish. And it developed this really unique community um, that was that really revolved around outward experience, um, which I'm very passionate about. You know, I think the the fitness industry overall has kind of taken a left turn in some ways in that a big emphasis i think in the industry right now is to just kind of get people coming back to the gym so that they can get better in the gym and just kind of keep going on that treadmill over and over and over and for me i think the leveraging training strength training and building physical competency so that you can go out into the world and have uh, an experience outdoors that you know, changes the way that you view yourself in the world is, was at the heart of, of what we were trying to do through that program. And so, you know, the progression of Ever Athlete went from strictly an injury prevention and, you know, performance care perspective into this greater picture of how do we actually improve people's lives and give them a very structured framework to do that. And then build in everything from, you know, not only the training, but also the community and the experience. Um, and so that was, you know, how we evolved. We did that for three years leading up to the pandemic. And then, you know, throughout that time, I had some wild personal stuff that happened in my family and just had some really crazy experiences. And so when the pandemic hit in 2020, we had just moved into this brand new performance center that was, you know, this big center with, uh, you know, a clinic, indoor and outdoor training. And, you know, it's kind of the next step in that journey. And uh, I, as we were negotiating that lease, I negotiated in a buyout clause for the lease in case the city ever came in and interfered with business, we'd be able to buy out of the lease. And so in early March, as the pandemic, as COVID was kind of like, it became this, thing that you were hearing about a little bit and then really took over our lives. And like, there was that one week mid-March that, you know, everything kind of changed. Um, and at that time, everyone was kind of looking at it as like a two to three week shutdown, you know, maybe this will impact us for a short period. And I, I had uh, some family friends that were really close to pretty high level epidemiologists. And they basically sat me down. They're like, Hey, you, you should get out of that lease if you can. Um, you should shut that place down. Don't expect to have a group environment work at all for at least a couple of years. And so I ended up buying out of the lease. We wow. got out of that facility. The goal was to keep everyone on staff that we had. So all the, you know, our trainers and doctors on staff, we kept everyone. We at the time had an office in downtown Palo Alto as well. We kept that facility, which was just like a small one-on-one -on -one environment. We also were doing one element of Ever Athlete that a lot of people don't know about is we were the primary wellness and fitness providers on site at one of the largest tech companies in Silicon Valley. Hmm. And so we had those three things going all at that time. Uh, we shut the gym down, shut the group training program down. And that's effectively what became the online programs that we've launched. So in place of that gym facility, we directed that attention and focus into creating accessibility for people at home or in the gym to uh, follow largely the same kinds of training programs that we were doing in our facility. And that's been a, a you know, what people see now with Ever Athlete was never the intention of Ever Athlete. It was always intended to be this in-person experience that was hyper-focused on a very close-knit community. Um, and we're trying to figure out how to, how to replicate that with the online stuff, but it's really, the online stuff has been very energizing in many ways and has been super exciting just in terms of the problem solving and the development of different programs and these things. But it's also been totally unexpected and something that we're, we're figuring out to this day, you know, so it's been a fun project, but there's been a humongous evolution of, of Ever Athlete over, over the years.
So yeah, in my notes actually, because I, I keep notes as I uh, as I do these podcasts, so that whenever people want to listen back, I have a bullet point of you know the progression of the topics, and I literally wrote the evolution of Ever Athlete exactly what you said because that's been quite a journey that you've had, and that took a lot of flexibility on your part to number one listen to epidemiologists back whenever we have no idea what's going on, and to take. A big gamble. I mean, you. you if, I'm sure it took a lot to build out that performance space and to, to move that in that direction in your business, and then to be able to pivot and say, "Wait a second, I, I'm not going to do this," and then pivot again to we have to, you know, do online programs, which wasn't even the goal, and may, it, it, it might not have even felt very good to start because that wasn't how you were viewing how you were going to be, you know, scaling your business. Yeah, and. You know, I mentioned going through some trials in the years leading up to the pandemic. And throughout that period, which was even more turbulent than the pandemic has been, throughout that period, I really chose to invest deeply in Ever Athlete and continue to build and continue to progress forward professionally. And didn't neglect family, but was not present in the way that I wanted to be when this opportunity arose with the pandemic. And I had this conversation with myself at the beginning of the pandemic where I, I thought a lot about who I wanted to be throughout this, like clearly a, a once in a generation experience. Like, who do you want to be throughout this? And for me, it was it was very important to be with family and close friends. And uh, I mean, honestly, we could have made it through the pandemic and would have been fine financially and all that. But the stress and the expense of not being there and not being available to people who, you know, I I really wanted to spend my time with was a, a decision that I had to make. And, you know, looking back. I think I made, you know, at the time I actually got a lot of pushback from mm-hmm. for, for closing down the, the facility because it was in that window where everyone thought that it was, this was like week one. And I, I called my landlord and, and shut things down. And I got a, a quite a bit of pushback in the community. Even my own wife, <laughs> my own wife was so upset, you know, because all of our friends, you know, we had so many deep, you know, someone from the gym just stayed with us this last weekend. Mm-hmm. We hadn't seen for two years. And, and stayed at our house. And, you know, he's one of those guys who we became very close through our strictly through the gym. But for me, it was really important to be present and to be with family during that time. The changes that have happened due to that decision of closing down that physical space have been very challenging. I mean, even though our online programs have done great, I mean, it's like, those have done really well. It's kind of become its own business in a way. But the the identity that I had tied up in the community of Ever Athlete in that facility was very deep. And, and it's been challenging to kind of sift through that, even knowing that it was the right decision. But it's also allowed us to redirect our energy in in really productive and helpful ways where now, you know, we used to be connected to a small community in a physical space. And now we're connected to people all around the world and have Mm -hmm. been connected to different athletes and have had, you know, we get people reach out to us all the time about the effect that just the consistency of having a training program, not only through the pandemic, but also now has had on their ability to participate in sport and, you know, achieve different things that they wanted to achieve. And so while the online game is something that I never intended to, or wanted to be a part of, I never wanted to be like a, an online personality to this day. I really don't want anything (laughs) like that, but it's been very interesting to see how that can impact the world and how that, you know, that effort can, can make a, not not in the way that I foresaw, but but have a, a really positive impact uh, with the outdoor community at large. Um, so it's been a, a real, real big journey. <laughs> yeah, having that flexibility and the courage that you had has helped you build on that framework because you wanted to you said you wanted to improve people's life experiences. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways you were doing them is, you know, those quarterly trips. But now that you have the ability to reach more and more people, people's life experience can improve even more because they can do these programs and then they can do their sport better and for longer and with less injury. And that is, in my mind, that's, that's awesome. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, it certainly is. And it's, 
I go back and forth with it. You know, I think selfishly with online work, you have less connection to people, Uh, you know, in the the one-on-one sports rehab realm, you, in terms of like my own personal experience, you have immediate feedback on whether you did a good job or not. Mm -hmm. And with the online game, you, you have much less of that. You have less connection to people. You have less feedback in that way which has been, it's been a major adjustment adjustment mm-hmm. for me to kind of take that for what it is. But it's also, like you said, it's been, it has been so positive in, in so many different ways. It's, it's been a really positive thing that, that honestly I've, I've loved doing like the rejuvenation from new problem solving and like the question mm-hmm. of how do we build something out as a framework for people all across the world with different skill levels who we don't know and can't see the way that they move. How do we create some sort of framework so that they can have a positive experience and improve is, is a really unique question to ask and answer. And that's something that's been really fun to answer through the online training programs. And now we're starting to do that through rehab as well. So this next branch that we're going to launch through our online site is going to be all about, you know, sports injury rehab. And how do you, how do we create accessibility at a very cheap price point to give people resources that they would get in a sports injury care clinic, but have them at their own home and they can use as a framework or an educational tool to guide them along the journey back from an injury. Um, which I think is like this next step for us that I'm I'm really excited about. Yeah. And something that I want to add is that a lot of times people view strength training as a boring thing, especially if you're somebody that likes to be outside, you know, doing all of these different endurance activities. Mm-hmm. And this is just sort of my own personal endorsement, but I just want to share it because for me, that that's one of the reasons I didn't want to do strength training is uh, I don't want to go into a gym. It's boring. It takes too much time. I don't even know if this is going to do anything for me. I don't want to be a weightlifter, like all of these different reservations or uh, hesitations that I had. And, you know, I've only been doing your program for about a month, but it's fun. Every time I do it, I'm surprised at how much fun I had. And it's because the pacing is done very well where there's no time to get bored. There's enough variation. And now things are starting to get even more challenging because the first couple, you know, couple workouts aren't going to be, it depends who you are, I guess, but the first couple workouts weren't very challenging for me. And now they're becoming more challenging. And that's exciting for me and that's refreshing for me. Mm. So I, I think for people listening who have been debating, like, should I do strength training in whatever capacity, you know, maybe you do it online with every athlete, maybe you do it locally, like whatever it is, there is a way to make it fun where it doesn't feel like this thing that you have to do that's a drag. Mm-hmm. Most certainly. And I think um, for me, it's really important that the programs create enough structure. They're not like randomized, right? They create enough structure to where you can notice little progression. And I think beyond that, for people that really like being in the outdoors and have outdoor pursuits, the question to ask is, is there a way for me to have more fun in my outdoor pursuits? And I think that part of the answer to that, to the the answer of yes to that is through building up your physical capabilities through tools in the gym. And personally, I've owned multiple gyms. <laughs> I do not like being in a gym environment, really, unless it's my own and it's kind of private and all that. I like being in the outdoors and I like things that are efficient and directed towards me maximizing my time outdoors. Because for things like mountain biking, like mountain biking is pretty time intensive, you know, for people that just ride on the weekends and are maybe getting away for two to three hours at best. I think that the way that I would speak to that is you can maximize that time by preparing yourself throughout the week by using really simple, efficient 30 to 40 workouts a couple times a week can improve the experience that you have on the weekend. Like you can really contribute to the experience that you have outdoors by doing, you know, what is, you know, generally a fun routine in the gym uh, also amplifies that fun outdoors as well. Uh, I guess my last question is about when to pair these workouts. So if if people are doing the online program and say they're doing like two different strength and then one core workout per week, do you do those the same day 
as like a hard workout and afterwards you do them on an easy day? Like how do you structure that? It really depends. It's pretty subjective. Generally speaking, like for people that are riding high volume, I usually try and place workouts. So the strength workouts on days where they're doing a lower intensive day on the bike, um, especially if they're riding like five, six days a week, throw those workouts in on the days where you're doing, you know, very mellow workouts on the bike. Give yourself a true rest day. So don't eliminate a rest day in honor of doing strength work. You could throw a little core workout in there, like 15 minutes or so. Uh, but generally we want to have like one full rest day at least during the week. But if you're not riding super high volume, you might need to play with it a little bit. I would say that second strength strength day during the week should not fall in a time range where it impacts your ride on the weekend, right? So you want to get the most out of those workouts. If you're, you know, doing training rides or you're just going out for fun, you don't want to place your strength workout within a time window that's going to either leave you hugely sore, which our programs won't, or impact your performance in those workouts. So if you're looking to progress on the bike, the workouts on the bike are primary. Place your strength workouts on days that are a little bit more mellow. And then in terms of like how you integrate the core routines, those are those are mellow enough to where, you know, I would just place them in between the two strength workouts, generally like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday routine or a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday routine, something like that is generally something that I I really like. But again, it's it really is dictated by how much volume you're doing on the bike. And if you're out there listening and you're really curious about, you know, how to answer this question, we answer this for people all the time. So people reach out to us all the time and send us their bike schedule and their aerobic training schedule. And we'll make recommendations for that based on their goals, their riding volume, all that kind of stuff. And that's something that, you know, we certainly want to respect the subjectivity of, but those are kind of general guidelines. Most of the workouts are 20 to 40 minutes. What if somebody said, well, I'm only going to spend five or 10 minutes. If they just did, you know, one small part of that workout, are they still going to see a benefit or do you have to do the full amount? I think um, that's a tough question. Yes, they'll get benefit from doing five to 10 minutes. I, I would argue like the way that the programs are designed, they are general frameworks that are designed to be completed as they've been written. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were going to pick and choose and you only have five to 10 minutes, I would recommend just pull one of the core routines out, do the core routines. Cause those are about 15 minutes long. And if you only have five to 10 minutes to offer for strength training in order to like really prepare yourself for a strength training session and be ready and make sure that you're not getting injured in the gym, you're, you're going to want, you're going to want 30 to 60 minutes to be fully prepared, totally ready to go. Um, and I would strongly recommend having that, you know, dedicated time period. Could you pick and choose? Could you pull, you know, certain supersets? Like we use a lot of supersets in our program. Most certainly. Yeah. I think for best results, it's uh, it's all about consistency. So creating consistency to what you choose. So if you're going to do a, a limited routine, I think being consistent for, you know, with that routine for a period of time, four to six weeks or so is really an effective way to kind of notice progression and build progression into that routine, even if it's short like that. But yeah, I think most effective strategies do the full program, but if you are going to pull, just make it consistent. Yeah. I'm just thinking about the person who maybe they only have, you know, five to seven hours a week to ride their bike and that's all the time that they have. And then to take out some of that time to add in strength work, that might not be very appealing to them. So I was just thinking about that person. Yeah. And I I think, I I think the core routines would be great in in that sense, you know, in that scenario, 15 to 20 minutes of core work one to two times a week could be, you know, you're not going to get the most, the, the, like the optimum benefit, but it's certainly benefit. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's, that's a great way to go, but I will say in terms of like heavier loading. So if you're, you know, we have some back squats and loaded lifts in our programs, I would not recommend, you know, really diving into that heavily unless you're totally warmed up, unless you've gone through that full 10 to 15 minute warm up and are totally ready to go for that. That's where, you know, the strength training can easily turn into, you know, something that can injure you rather than actually help your performance. 
Cool. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I think we covered so much today and there's so much more that I wanted to cover that we didn't get to. <laughs> Where can people find you? Where can people find Ever Athlete if they're curious? Yeah. On Instagram, it's at Ever Athlete. And then our website is www.everathlete.fit. And that's where you'll find all the information about our programs and in-person services. Um, if you follow us on Instagram, we throw up a lot of tutorials on movement and injury prevention and all kinds of good stuff. And then locally, if people are in California, where can they find you? We have two facilities in California. One is in Mountain View, which is right in the Bay Area, the heart of the Bay Area, next to like Google and Stanford and all that. And we just opened a new facility down in Santa Cruz next to some very good trails. Um, yeah, sweet. <laughs> yeah, we opened up here three months ago. So we're in those two spots in person and feel free to reach out. All right. Well, thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast if you're enjoying it. And share the show with your friends. It is always great to talk about podcasts that you're listening to. And it usually leads to really interesting conversations amongst friends. And as always, I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. And I'll see you right back here next week. Bye.